February 11th, 2013. Any of you familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. So he talks about how first we have basic physiological needs, like for air. What's the thing we need after air? Water. New before water. You can go a few days without water. Few, anybody have any idea? Food? No, you can go for a few months without food. At least 40 days you can go without food. What's the next thing after water? Ground. After air, rather. Between air and water. Hmm? <laughs> Nobody ever gets this. Temperature. Yeah, it's too hot and too cold. Can't live for very long. Right? About a half an hour. It's too hot or too cold. So those are our basic physiological needs. Air, temperature, water, food. Then above that, he has social, you know, need for protection and shelter, and then social needs and psychological needs. And at the top, he has something called self-actualization. And the way Maslow describes self-actualization is being in a position where you feel, I fit. I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I'm being who I am. Now, you know you found that place if you're doing something where you feel inspired and alive. And each of us has different types of things that will make us feel inspired and alive. So the kind of work and activity that will make me feel inspired and alive is going to be different for each person. So if you can think about, you know, what's the last thing I did where I didn't want to stop? I was regretting that it was time to go to sleep, or I was regretting that I had to stop to eat. You know, I just wanted to keep going. So that's some idea of being in a position that really fits who we are. So our philosophy of the Hare Krishna movement is to really find that place where we fit, where we feel most alive, and to find that place on several different levels. Now, the ultimate place that we want to find this aliveness and fitting and being who we are is on the deepest level, the real who we are. Who is the real who we are? The real who we are is wonderful. Now, generally, our conception of who we are materially is not wonderful. Anybody here look in the mirror and go, perfect? Right? Probably not. I mean, you're all very good looking. Right? You might think, oh, I know it's a little bit too big. Yes, a little bit too much fat over here, too much skinny over here. Could be a little taller, a little shorter, right? And that gets worse as you get older, I warn you. It doesn't get any better as you get older. I look in the mirror now and I see my mother's face looking back at me. Now where she come from in my mirror? So that's not our ultimate self. It's a temporary self body. And ultimately, would we want that to be ourselves, this collection of skin and hair and you know, 
if you made a pile of body parts, even the parts you like, you probably like your eyes and your hair, you know, a bunch of eyeballs there, a bunch of hair there. Mm-hmm. And just think how the body's changing. You know, we were once little tiny babies, and if I took everybody's baby picture and put it up on the wall and said, match it to the people in the room, you'd have a hard time, wouldn't you? Right? Because the body's changed so much. What's speak of when we're all 80 years old? Took the pictures now and took it again when you're 80 and tried to match them up and wouldn't be able to do it. But yeah, we're the same person. So that's not our ultimate self. The body's a temporary external self. And then what about the mind? Anybody here perfectly happy with their mind? Would you want to take all of the thoughts and feelings of your mind and put them out for public display? And again, would you say, woohoo, perfect? Probably not. Right? And the mind keeps changing too. The kind of mind, can you all hear me okay? That mind? The kind of mind we had again when we were two, and the kind of mind that we have when we're 10, and the kind of mind we have when we're 30 or 50. It changes, but yet I have the sense of, of self, of same identity. So that's not the ultimate real self either. The ultimate real self is an eternal identity and is beautiful. I mean, we can try to make the body beautiful, try to make the mind beautiful, but ultimately neither the body nor the mind is particularly beautiful, even if you have a particularly beautiful body and mind. But the real self is very beautiful. The real self is spiritual, it's eternal, it's always young, it's always full of energy. It's always decorated with all the finest possible qualities that we can imagine. Poetic and youthful and kind, powerful and invulnerable. No old age, no death, no envy and greed, all those sort of things that trouble us. That's the real self. And the real self is not just some amorphous energy. The real, our real self is an individual. Individual means likes and dislikes, personality, particular propensities. We have an eternal place in the whole manifestation of reality. We have a place where we fit, where we feel most ourselves, and we have each of us has a place that only we can fill. Just like this body, each of us has a unique body, each of us has a unique thumbprint, a unique DNA, right? unique facial features, even identical twins, you know, they're mirror images of each other, you know that? They're not exactly the same. So that's true on the level of the body, it's true on the level of the mind, but it's also true on the level of the real self. So to find full self-actualization, a full self-realization, is the way that we find complete satisfaction. Yes, this is really the real me, and this is where I fit and I belong and I feel most enlivened eternally with who I am. And that is what we're striving for in the chanting of, of this mantra, is to find 
our real self, to become self-realized. And one who becomes self-realized, not only do they see themselves, but they also see everyone else on the spiritual platform. And that, of course, is the real platform of equality. Equality in individuality, not equality in that everyone is spiritually exactly the same, but equality in that everyone has the same worth and everyone has the same power. Everyone has the same value. And yet everyone's particular value and worth is individual. That everyone has some individual value. And that kind of equality can only exist with spiritual vision. On the material platform, one person is smarter than another, one person is stronger than another, one person is richer than another, right? And unfortunately, nobody has come up with the social system or the government system or whatever system to eradicate that. Although we may try to do so. But on the spiritual platform, that actually exists. Nobody has to create a system to make it exist. Nobody has to create a system to create equal opportunity on the spiritual platform. It's already there. Nobody can take it away, nobody can create it, and everybody can experience it. And everybody can experience it regardless of what one's external situation is. Am I boring some of you to death? So it's on that level that we would really like to come to find who I am and where do I fit? Where do I fit in the universe? Where do I fit forever? Where do I find my actual place? where I can be really who I am and make my unique contribution to reality. But we do have, temporarily, a particular mind and body. And that particular mind and body, also, we will feel very satisfied when we find where we can most express who we are. And we're going to look at that from two points of view. First of all, finding out what is the nature, what is our nature, and then how can we express it so that we'll find complete satisfaction. Now, finding out our spiritual nature is a question of cleaning our consciousness. In Sanskrit, it's called cheto darpana marginam. Darpana means a mirror. Cheto means the consciousness. Marginam means to clean. So when we clean the mirror of our consciousness, we see our real self. And that's something that others can guide us with and help us with, but ultimately it's something we do ourselves. And particularly the way we do that is through sound, through meditating on spiritual sound. And this way we find out who we really are. And not only do we, do we see who I am as myself, but when one clears one's consciousness, one sees who I am in relationship to all of reality, not just who am I in isolation. <coughs> then there's also a process for seeing who I am temporarily in this life. Because what we understand is that the real self takes on different identities in different lives. So this is called transmigration, or sometimes people call it reincarnation. 
So according to my desires and my actions, I try on different identities and different lives. So in some lives I'm a man, in some lives I'm a woman, in some lives I'm an African, in some lives I'm a Peruvian, in some lives I'm an animal. And I try on different identities, and on those different identities, I can taste different kinds of material situations. That's why one takes birth after birth. When one realizes one's real self, one finds that whatever one can taste materially is there in its perfect form spiritually and no longer desires to try this or that material taste. But interestingly enough, although our present identity of the body and mind is temporary and it's not our real self, and although the main process for realizing our real self is absorption in spiritual sound, spiritual music, spiritual dance, how we use our temporary, material, external, not the real me identity also helps us reawaken our real identity. How we understand who the false, temporary, illusory self is helps awaken the real, eternal self. Is there enough room for everybody here? Thank you for coming. So does that sound a little odd to everybody? I mean, if I'm going for the real self, why should I bother about the temporary self, right? But I've got a temporary self. I've got a temporary identity in terms of this body and this mind. And what I do with that affects my inner awakening. So therefore, our Hare Krishna philosophy is very holistic. We're looking at the real internal self, but we're also looking at our role in the world. We're not promoting the philosophy of leave the world, go to some mountain cave somewhere, don't have anything to do with anybody, and just focus on awakening your spiritual identity. But we're saying one can awaken your spiritual identity while working in the world, while going to university, while working in a job, while raising a family, while doing things that are ordinarily considered material. If we figure out what our temporary identity is and if we use it in the service of awakening the spirit. So let's look at an example here in your very colorful first page handout here. You can open it up. Now, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Ayurveda. Ayurveda is a system that's normally thought of as just a system of medicine, but it's also a system of psychology and of understanding yourself. And according to Ayurveda, there's three main types of people. And that can be understood as bodily types or as mental types. Now, although we say there's three main types, most of us are a combination of these. So there's also three times three is nine and then the original three, so it's really 12. But we're just going to look at the three main ones here. So there's what we call the airy type, the fiery type, and the watery type. And you can see that, again, in body constitutions. So the watery type, they're going to have bigger bones, a bigger build altogether. 
right? And the airy type, they're going to be the most skinny. And the fiery type are going to be somewhere in the middle. But here we're looking at the mental type. Now I want you to notice that not only we're looking at mental types, that's in the vertical columns, but in the horizontal columns, we're also looking at one's level of consciousness. How we use our mental type. And this is a key. So first understand what the mental type is, what the mental and physical type is, and then what you do with it. So the bottom row, you have using our mental physical type in ignorance. The middle is using our mental physical type in what's called passion. Now, Raja also means king. So passion here means, uh, of course, we don't have very many examples, perhaps in modern society, of really righteous kings. But if you think of the king as like the ideal king, it's like the super parent. Again, I, I think in the world today, we don't really have very many examples of good government, huh? It's just bad, worse, and worst. Right? We don't have any good ones. But if, you can, if we could think of what an ideal government would look like, that it really cared about the citizens, that it used tax money to benefit the citizens, it protected the citizens, that the people running the government were righteous, ethical people interested in justice. So that's what passion means. Passion means working hard for justice, working hard for equality, for care, for protection. Ignorance means uh, crime, stealing, hurting, exploitation. And goodness means detached. So passion, one is caring, one is righteous, but one's doing it for one's own ego. I'm a good person. So the mode of ignorance is, I'm a bad person. The mode of passion is, I'm a good person. And the mode of goodness is, I love everyone, I care about everyone, and I'm not, I'm not doing it to be a good person. I'm doing it just out of love. I'm not doing it so anybody's going to praise me. I don't want my name in the history books. So mode of passion person, they're doing the right thing, but so they can get their name in the history books. So they can get the parade. You know. And the mode of goodness person, they're doing the right thing, but they're doing the right thing just out of love, and just out of compassion, and just out of caring. They're not doing it for their own ego. So here you see the same type of person, like if we look at the copper person, the same type of person. That person in ignorance acts one way, in passion in another way, and in goodness in another way. They haven't changed their personality, but they're changing how they're using it. The person who's got a fiery nature, they're using it one way in ignorance, another way in passion, another way in goodness. And the person with an airy nature, they're using it one way in ignorance, another way in passion, and another way in goodness. So the secret here is to figure out, okay, who am I? What kind of a nature do I have? And then bring it up to goodness. And if you bring it up to goodness and you engage in a spiritual process, then you will first of all be satisfied materially because you'll be engaging your nature properly and you'll awaken your actual spiritual self. So you'll have both material and spiritual satisfaction. Do you follow that logically? Yes. 
Because as soon as we act in goodness, as soon as we do the right things for the right reason, that clears our consciousness so that engaging in spiritual practice becomes very effective. You could think of it like if you're eating nutritious food, but if you have some disease in your body, you can't digest the food properly. Whereas if your body's healthy, you can digest what you eat. So the best way to have spiritual practice be effective is to be using our material nature in the mode of goodness. Now, spiritual practice is, in one sense, it's transcendental. doesn't matter what you're doing materially. But it's much more effective, much faster, much easier, much more pleasant if our nature is also being used in the mode of goodness. So we're not going to go over this particular model in depth tonight. This is something you can take and study. The model we're going to go over in depth tonight, actually, don't turn the page yet, is one of the easiest models to understand, I feel, and to apply. And I've studied and taught many different models of personality style. Uh, probably the one that's used most often is called Myers-Briggs. Have any of you heard of that at all? Myers-Briggs system? So if you do search for it on the internet, I'm sure you can find a lot of information. Now, the Myers-Briggs system is very accurate, but it's very complex. There's at least 16 main types, and they have just letters like ENTJ and things like that, and INTJ, and trying to understand it and remember it and apply it is a little difficult, although it's a very good system. And one has to take some complicated assessment procedure to figure it out. So, and there's many other systems as well. So although Myers-Briggs is a, is a very good system, I find it complicated to teach it and understand it, which this is a very, very simple system. So in this system, we're going to be looking at four main types. And those four main types, we're looking at two main categories. So one of the main categories, if you could just not look at that yet, folks, that would be really cool. Thanks. We'll get there. Don't worry. And you get to take it home so you can look at it for a long time after taking it. So the first category we're looking at is going to be people and task-oriented. So some of us are people-oriented, and some of us are more task-oriented. Now, all of us are both people-oriented and task-oriented. All of us like to be with people, and all of us like to do things, right? Yes? There's none of us that only likes to be with people and never get anything done. And there's none of us who only likes to get things done and never hang out with other people. But we each have a preference. So I'd like you to think, if you had to choose, had to choose, which one are you more? Are you more people-oriented? Or are you more task-oriented? So who would say if they had to choose that they were more people-oriented? Who would say they're more people-oriented? Just a few of you. Usually they're in the majority. Okay. So I assume the rest of you, you'd say if you had to choose, you're more task-oriented? Who would say if they had to choose, they're more task-oriented? Some of you have no idea, huh? Okay, if you're not sure, then think about, again, what makes you feel alive? Just hanging out with other people or getting something done? You get really energized by getting something done, and if other people come around, you're like, man, I wish they'd get out of here so I can get my stuff done. Or if you're trying to get something done and other people come right, yeah, I can stop getting something done and hang out with my friends. Okay, I'm going to ask you, if you had to choose, who would say they're more people-oriented? Okay, who would say they're more task-oriented? 
All right. Again, we're all a little bit of each. We're all a little bit of each. There's probably nobody that only does one or only does the other. Okay, the next two categories we're going to look at is outgoing and reserved, or fast-paced or slow-paced. So again, each of us has some of each. Now, these are not Young's categories of, of introvert and extrovert. So if you've studied psychology with Young, this is not the same categories at all. At all. Outgoing, fast-paced. Make decisions quickly. Right? Like change, like adventure. Don't mind, you maybe even like being at the front of the room. Right? I'm going to be out there. That's the outgoing or fast-paced person. Then the reserved or slower-paced person. You'll like to think about things. Consider this. Consider that. More cautious. Maybe kind of like to be at the back of the room. I like to hang out with a small number of people. Rather, somebody didn't call on you. So again, we have outgoing or fast-paced and reserved or slower-paced. Now, all of us are slower-paced with some things and faster-paced with other things. All of us are outgoing in some areas and reserved in some areas. Nobody's completely outgoing and nobody's completely reserved. But we still have a preference. So again, think deeply. If you had to choose, are you more outgoing and fast-paced or more reserved and slower-paced? So who would say they're more outgoing and fast-paced? Who would say they're more reserved and slower-paced? Okay, that's what we expect. Yes, the majority of people are more reserved and slower-paced. All right, so then we're going to put those two together. So some of us are going to be people-oriented and outgoing fast-paced. Some are going to be people-oriented and reserved slower pace. Some of us are going to be task-oriented and outgoing fast-paced, and some of us are going to be task-oriented and reserved slower pace. Is that clear? Everybody following me? Okay? So you've got four types. Outgoing task, outgoing people. Reserve task, reserve people. Now again, none of us are totally one thing or another. And if I were to give you a test on this, which you can get online, you might find that you're very high in one of these and a little bit high in another. So some people have two of these four that are dominant. Usually we have one that's higher than the others. Occasionally, people have two that are equal. Okay. So this system is called DISC, D-I-S-C. So now you can turn to the next page with all these pretty colors. So first we're going to look at the outgoing task-oriented. Outgoing task-oriented. So how many of you end up in the outgoing task-oriented category? I should tell you that uh, people in this category are in the smallest minority in the population. If you're very high in this category, uh, there's only a tiny portion of you in the population. And 
This is the D category. You could call it whatever you wanted, but they call it the D category, and the symbol is an exclamation mark. So these people are driving doers and are emphatic. And their focus is get the job done, just do it. Overcome opposition and achieve your goals. Winners never quit and quitters never win. And these people need to be challenged. They need a lot of control and they need a lot of choices. And these people really like to lead or be in charge. They can be good team players, but they really need to have a lot of control over what they're doing in their life. And these are people that are never satisfied with the status quo. They're always looking for better, newer, better ways to do things. All right, now the next is the I. We're going to get more into details on this, but this is just a real overview. The I type. The I type is the outgoing people-oriented. So their symbol is the star. And they're inspirational, influencing, and impulsive. And these people love being the center of attention. These are your people who are on stage. Right? So who's an outgoing people-oriented type here? Not very many. So this is your, okay. This is in, in the population, this is the next group of the population. And their focus is, I am for you. If we all pull in the same direction and stay motivated, there's no end of success and fun. These people like fun. These are your party people. These are your festival party people. Uh, they basically, they need recognition, approval, and popularity, and they like to persuade others. These people can be very persuasive, very friendly. They often have a lot of friends. Right? And after you meet them for five minutes, you feel like you've always known them. These are your real popular people. Okay, so these two groups tend to be leaders. Your outgoing task-oriented, your outgoing people-oriented people tend to be your leaders. But your outgoing task-oriented tend to be a little more serious, and your outgoing people tend to be more fun. All right. Now we're going to go to the reserve people-oriented. Who's in the reserve people-oriented category? Interesting group here. So this is usually the majority. So majority of people are in this category. This is a plus minus sign. So these people are steady, stable, and supportive. They bring balance. These are team players. They like to work together. They really need to be appreciated and have security and approval. And they provide support. They're orderly and efficient. They like to do things in the standard way. So the, the I's and the D's, they like change. The D's are always trying to improve things. And the I's like a lot of change. And the S like things, hey, we want to keep doing They're status quo people. You know, we like to do things the way we've always done them. And their, their view is we want to work together. These are very good team players. And by the way, if you go to any community and you say, who are the nicest people? and you get a list of the nicest people, I can pretty much guarantee you they're all going to be S's. Okay, the D's get things done, the I's are a lot of fun, and the S's are just nice. Everybody likes them. They pretty much can get along with everybody and anybody. All right. Now we're going to go to the reserve task-oriented. So two here is reserve task-oriented. Okay, some of you are just like stuck somewhere, huh? 
All right, so these people are competent, cautious, and careful. Their symbol is a question mark. They always want to know the why behind everything. They want to make sure everything is done correctly. These people ask a lot of questions. Lots of questions. They're really good researchers. And what they need in life are quality answers, excellence, and value. They really want to be conscientious and consistent. Uh, many, many times people who are C's are known as being highly intelligent. And they're very analytical people. Uh, they really analyze things, really research things, and they like, you know, <laughs> everything's got to be right. Everything's got to be right. By the way, these people are being the opposite of the eyes. They're not much fun. So if you want something done right, everything carefully done, then you've got to go to a C. But if you want to throw a party, you go to an I. If you want somebody to lead a project, you go to a D. If you want somebody to work in a team, you go to an S. Okay, you got that pretty much an idea? All right, let's turn to the next page. All right, now we're going to look at different aspects of these personalities. So outlook. So the D is looking at the bottom line, the results. What's the goal? Where are we, where are we going? What's the point? The eyes are like, let's have fun. Oh, let's travel. Let's do something exciting. And the S is, let's help people. Let's build friendships. And the C are, let's produce something of value. Let's produce something of excellence. Now, each of these types also has their downside. The downside of the D are appreciating other people's feelings. They want to get the job done. Now, today, focus on the goal. The downside of the I is they're maybe disorganized. They're not so concerned with the details and the, you know. The downside of the S is to be too possessive because they live by order and tranquility. The downside of the C is to be too critical, because everything's got to be perfect. The excesses of the D is they can direct too much. Okay, you do this, you do this. The excess of the I is they can talk too much. Hey, let's go do this, we'll go do this. And that the S is they can agree too much. Yeah, you're right, and you're also right, you're right, because they get along with everybody. And the excess of the C is they can ask too many questions. What about this, what about that, what about this and that? And the other, oh, shut up. Now, how do you recognize these people? Right? If you go to a D, you might have a big desk, a night off, nice office, and lots of things going on. Maybe they're managing 12, 15, 20 projects at once. The I, you see they're into family and friends, disorganized. The S, charts and manuals, everything organized, and C, everything's neat and tidy and filed. Now, what happens when you get them mad? When you get a D mad, they fight. When you get an I mad, they talk. When you get an S mad, Ooh, they either crumble or fight. They get, they're really offended. And a C will also get defensive, but probably not as fighting as a D. And a D likes to do things the fastest way. What's the fastest, most efficient way we get what we're doing? The I wants to do it. Hey, let's do it the most fun way. And the S says, let's do it the traditional way. And C says, let's do it the proper way. Let's do it the right way. Okay, approach to a task. The D says, get it done now. And the I says, oh, we'll put it off till later. And the S says, let me get help from others and work as a team. And the C says, I think I'll just do it myself. And how do they process information? 
The D says, let's do it and get finished. The I says, let's have some fun. The S says, slow down, help me out. And the C says, answer my question first. If you give them a budget with money, the D just looks it over. Okay, that's a budget. Okay, let's go on. The I says, budget? What's a budget? (laughs) The S makes sure they stay under the budget. They're going to have money left at the end of the project. And the C stays within the budget. They'll spin right to the budget. The D is driving by their willpower. That's what's moving them. The I is motivated by their inspirations. The S is motivated by their feelings. And the C is motivated by their intellect. The strength of the D is to be firm. The strength of the I is to be fun. The strength of the S is to be friendly. And the strength of the C is to be factual. Unfortunately, the D, whose firm is not very friendly... And the I is not very factual, and the S is not very firm, and the C is not very much fun. And what I hope you're getting from this is that each strength has a corresponding weakness. Do you see that? Nobody can be all strengths except God. But each of us as individuals, we have our area where we're strong, and we have our area where... The very area where we're strong is also the same area where we're weak. Is that, that makes sense to everybody? we we'll see this more and more. And the key to success for a D is to be able to work under authority. That's, that's the thing that the D has to be able to work with, how to get along with people who are authorities. The main thing an I needs to work at is to be more credible. The main thing an S needs to work at is to be more decisive, and the main thing a C needs to, be work, to work at is to be more supportive. Those are the areas of weakness. Now, if you want to motivate different people, the way to motivate a D is say, hey, I want you to be in charge of this. The way to motivate an I is say, you can do it. The way to motivate an S is say, I need your help. And the way to motivate a C is say, I need your best thinking. We're not all motivated by the same things. Now, if you want to discourage somebody, you say to a D, you can't do that. Actually, a lot of Ds, if you say, you can't do that, they'll say... Oh, yeah? You want to see me? The way to, to, to discourage an eye is say, well, you think that's funny? <laughs> to an S is go, you're not very nice. And to go to a C is say, you made a mistake. Because you, you, you're hitting right the essence of their personality. Right? The D is thinking, I can do anything. And the I's feeling, you know, I'm, I'm a fun, funny person. And the S is, I'm a nice person. And the C is, I'm, I get it right person. So the main way you can discourage those people is saying, you know, you can't do that, or you're not funny, or you're not nice, or you're not right. Now what D's should learn to do in order to communicate better, to, for more productivity, the D's should communicate often, reward achievement, Practice patience, improve listening skills, and display more empathy. The eyes should have short-term goals, behave responsibly, follow written plans, keep commitment, and focus on listening. The S should accept challenges readily, demonstrate flexibility, voice their opinions, concentrate on deadlines, and exercise assertiveness. And the C should show some optimism, more spontaneousness, simplify their ideas, decide more quickly, and control their perfectionism. All right, let's look at the next page.
We're not going to go over this page in depth, but this gives you some of the same kind of thing. You know, what, what are they like? So D's like activity and bigness and doing things and hard work. And I's like exposure to people and lots of activity and short-term projects and be on the go and making people happy. And S likes peace and stability and waiting, friendly environments, teamwork. C's like consistency, creativity, perfection, orderliness. Right. What do they don't like? Let's go down to what they don't like. So D's don't like indecision, lazy people, slow people taking orders. I's don't like being ignored, being ridiculed, or being isolated, or doing repetitive tasks. S's don't like insensitivity, misunderstandings, and surprises, or being yelled at. See, the I's love surprises. And the S's don't like surprises. They want stability. The C's don't like being criticized and sudden changes. Your S's and your C's don't like sudden changes and surprises. Your I's and D's thrive on that. C's don't like mistakes, hypocrites, unnecessary interruptions, and broken promises. When you deal with the D, you need to be quick, specific, to the point, and a winner. If you're going to deal with an I, you need to be fun, responsive, stimulating, positive, upbeat, enthusiastic. If you deal with an S, you want to be kind, pleasant, patient, understanding. And if you deal with the C, you want to be accommodating, honest, accountable, care, accurate, careful, and analytical. Now, the next page we go to is a lot like the first page we looked at. The first page we looked at was three different types and how they functioned in ignorance, passion, and goodness. So now we're going to look at these four types of DISC, and we're going to look at it, same person, whether they're out of control or in control. Basically, whether one's using one's nature in a way that's going to bind you to materialism, or whether we're using one nature in a way that's going to be helpful for spirituality. So let's look, we're not going to go through all these, but let's look at the D. So if you see, the top quality for the D, under control, is courageous. And the top quality for the D, out of control, is reckless. What's the difference between courage and recklessness? Anybody want to suggest what's the difference between courage and recklessness? Bye-bye, guys. Hope you catch your bus. Anybody want to suggest the difference between courage and recklessness? Courageous is responsible, but the reckless is careless. Okay. Or the reckless cares less, but the courageous does it for a reason. Ah. For a noble reason. A noble reason. Now, both when you're courageous and you're reckless, you're doing things that are what? Active and what? And what? Daring. Daring, risky. Both the courageous person and the reckless person is doing things that are dangerous. Correct? That are risky. And the main difference is the courageous person is doing things that are noble. They're risking for a noble cause, and the reckless person is risking for a foolish cause. Does that make sense, everybody? You see, it's, it's the same trait. A person who's willing or even energized by taking risks. A person who's energized by taking risks. Is that deep or 
That's a D. It's a D. See, courageous and reckless. Now, each of these, the, the, top, the top quality correspond, at the t- in the top row corresponds to the top quality in the bottom row. These are all corresponding. So if you look at C, orderly and compulsive correspond. It's the same quality, but used properly, it's orderly. Used improperly, it's compulsive. Or an S, relaxed and lacking initiative. Used properly, it's relaxed. Used improperly, it's lacking initiative. Or with the I, optimistic and unrealistic. Used properly, it's optimistic. Used improperly, it's unrealistic. Same quality. When we understand something about who we are, sometimes we see the faults in our own nature. And sometimes people think, okay, let me become a different nature. But that's not generally possible. It's something like dyeing your hair. The roots always show. looks artificial, and the roots always show. Rather, we find out what our nature is, and then we use it in a positive way. So if you're finding that you're, you know, emotional, then instead of becoming emotional, instead of saying, well, I'm going to be unemotional. No, turn that to excited. Right? If you find that you're a sucker and people take advantage of you, instead you can turn that to being cooperative. If you find that you're too dictatorial, you can turn that to deliberate. So you take your, your bad qualities and you just simply using them properly, they become good qualities. And by taking our nature and using it properly, I'm in the best position to realize my actual spiritual nature. Now we have another couple pages here that I'm not going to go over. You can go over this yourself. This is a different system. So you've got three systems in this path. You have the Ayurvedic system, the DIS system. Uh, now this system is similar to the DIS in that you're looking at two main qualities which gives you four types. And this system is mostly, I think we have yes, three pages here. This system is more um, internal, your internal intellectual system rather than your external behavior. This is how we organize our thoughts. Do we look mostly at concrete items, sensory items, or are we interested mostly in abstract ideas and theories? Do we organize things mostly sequentially or randomly? And this gives you four types, your concrete sequential, abstract sequential, abstract random, and concrete random. So your concrete sequential looks at concrete objects, sensory objects, and organizes them in a very sequential, orderly way. Your concrete random looks at objects and organizes them in a more intuitive way. These are your inventors, your inventors and your rule breakers. Abstract sequential is somebody who analyzes emotions and ideas. They take ideas and philosophy and emotions and, and put them in an orderly way. That's the smallest uh, the population. 
Then abstract random are people who take ideas and emotions and respond to them intuitively. So these people make, for example, the best counselors. So you can go through this on your own. I'm not going to go through this right now in depth. I don't want to confuse you with too many systems, but it's something that you can learn on your own. Now, ultimately, the ultimate expression of who we are is to take, okay, first of all, understand who I am in this world, who I am in terms of my personality and how I work, and use it not just under control and not even just in goodness, but use it in the service of the spiritual. And when we use it in the service of the spiritual, again, that unlocks our eternal personality. Now, our eternal spiritual personality may be very different from the temporary material personality that we are exhibiting in this lifetime. Just like our original spiritual form is probably very different than the particular bodily form that we have in this life or that we've had in various other lives. This particular body is just like a costume. So our basic process of Krishna consciousness is twofold. We awaken the internal self primarily through the chanting of the mantra. And at the same time, we engage the external temporary self in activities according to its nature in the service of the spirit. And by doing that, we uh, basically break our identification with the material and we fully identify with ourself as the spiritual. So I hope you got at least some of this. It's a little deep. So any questions or discussions or, or thoughts you have on this? How do you develop to see in this disc? Um, uh, I don't know what to call it. Yes. Yeah. How how do how do you uh, in in this um, categories? How do you how do you practice daily to get the the balance? Because I can see that I impart some of you know uh, I don't know maybe I'm multiple personalities. Uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how does one find a, a balance? Like maybe mm. Well, all of us have some of the categories of all four types. Mm. There's nobody who's entirely, totally only one type. But most of us have one type that's dominant. And most of us have one type that we're very weak in, generally the opposite of our dominant type. Like S is the opposite of D and I is the opposite of C. Generally. And some of us have one type that's very dominant and another type that's somewhat dominant. So a person may be very dominant I and somewhat dominant D, for example. And sometimes you have people have opposite things. So a person may be very, very high in D qualities and somewhat high in S qualities, which is the opposite. That, that does happen. The only way to figure this out in that detail is to actually take a, a self-test and then you get a little chart that shows you exactly what your qualities are. As far as balance, I think we only find balance as a society. <clears throat> because each of us has our strength in one circumstance, that very strength is a weakness in another circumstance. So if you have somebody who's a really good team player, and really good at getting along with everybody, and really good at being cooperative and just nice, and you say, okay, be the leader and take decisive action. 
That's the area of weakness. You can be trained. Eh. No? Eh. Only up to a point. Only up to a point. So are you saying that... Only up to a point. Are you saying that it is a, a person, if they are that way... That's how they are in this life. There's no training for the mind. The training for the mind is how to be who you are in the best way, rather than to try to have the best of all the qualities. You cannot have the best of all the qualities. That you cannot have. Not, not in one lifetime. What if I'm a chant mantra until he gets purified? Yes. Then perfect everything. Well, perfect everything means... What perfect everything means is that you will perfect your particular nature in this life and you will realize your eternal nature. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect in everything. Only God is perfect in everything. I cannot, I can never be perfect in everything. I can be perfect in who I am. And if I'm perfect in who I am, that means I'm not going to be perfect in who I'm not. So part of understanding this is saying, you know, I'm who I am. Let me be perfect in who I am. It's just like each of us has a particular body in this life. And we can each be attractive with the body that we have. You know, there's all different shapes of noses that can be attractive. And all different shapes of eyes that can be attractive. And all different colors of eyes, right? But how can you have straight hair and curly hair at the same time? If you've got beautiful curly hair, then you don't have beautiful straight hair. You've got beautiful curly hair. You, you follow me? And each has its benefits. Like my daughter-in-law has really, really curly hair, kind of the way you're here. And it's really long. It's like down here. So when she styles it, it just stays. Whereas my hair, if I style it, it doesn't stay at all. Now I can comb my hair in about two seconds. It takes her about an hour to comb her hair. You know, but if you want hair that you comb in two seconds, it doesn't stay anywhere. If I want it to stay anywhere, I've got to put goop in it. But the benefit is I can comb it in two seconds. She can do anything with her hair, but it takes her an hour to comb it. You, you follow what I'm saying? So the perfection is to be who I am perfectly, to know who I am in this life. Who I am in this life is not, thank God, permanent. And I've had so many different personalities in so many different lifetimes. Like I've had so many bodies in so many different lifetimes. So just saying, you know, well, I'd like to have a different personality, that just gets you a different material lifetime. And every material personality has its plus and minus points. So balance we find as, as a group. That one person's good at this, this person's good at this, this person's good at this, this person's good at that, this person's good at that. As an individual, I find balance when I accept this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not good at. This is how I can use my personality as strengths. 
This is how I can use all my tendencies in ways that are, that are strengths rather than weaknesses. If I'm a risk taker, let me take intelligent, noble risks instead of foolish risks. You know, I'm, if I'm a risk taker, I ain't going to become a cautious person. I'm going to stay a risk taker. If I'm a cautious person, I'm not going to become a risk taker. And then you know, you know, if you're, if you're a risk taker, then you don't become an accountant. <laughs> You know, and if you're a cautious person, you probably don't go exploring at the North Pole. So rather than trying to be somebody we're not in this life, which only leads us to another body, so then, oh, let me try to be that, let me try to be this, let me try to be that, let me try to be this. Whatever we are, we are. At least this life is not permanent. Yes? Um, I'm a bit confused. Um, okay. Is this like a matter of Setting or pursuing something after this self-realization of getting to know yourself. Okay. Um, on the material level, it's a matter of acceptance. I'm saying that in this life, I have a particular kind of personality. Let me accept it and use it in the best way possible. Because in this life, I'm not going to change my personality. What I can change is how I use it. It's just like, how are you going to change your body? I mean, you can go in for surgery, you know. You, you follow? Yeah, so, you know. level so it's, on, on the material level, it's, okay, I accept. I have this body. I have this mind, this personality in this life. It's not my eternal personality that I have in this life. It's what I got in this life. I accept it. Don't waste my energy trying to change it. Figure out what it is, and then figure out how I can use What do I do with it? How can I use it in such a way to bring me and everyone else the greatest happiness and facilitate my spiritual life? Then what was the other word you used? Acceptance and? Um, uh, pursuing, to, yeah, pursuing other traits that you would like to have. Okay, well, what, the, what we really want to pursue is finding out who I am spiritually because who I am spiritually is glorious. Even though who I am spiritually is also individual, it's perfect. Who I am materially is never perfect. The perfection of who I am materially is using it properly, but it's never going to be perfect in an ultimate sense. Does that, does, that, does that make sense to you? It's just like you have a certain kind of vehicle. You have a certain kind of bicycle, or you've got a certain kind of motorcycle, or you have a certain kind of car. You're never going to have the perfect car or the perfect motorcycle. And a motorcycle can't do what a car does, and a car can't do what a motorcycle does. But you can have the perfect use of the motorcycle and the perfect use of the bicycle. But the bicycle can never be everything. Is that? So it's like you figure out, you know, what do I have? Do I got a bicycle? Do I got a skateboard? Do I got a boat? Do I got a plane? What do I got? And then how do I use it properly? And don't bother trying to turn your boat into a plane. What it is, it is. It doesn't matter. It's not me. It's not me anyway. It's just my temporary identity. But the thing that I'm trying to develop or, or discover is better word for it is who I really am. This body and mind is just a vehicle. Who's really driving this thing? And that being is perfect. My real self is perfect. It's still individual. 
I still have my individual talents and my individual personality on the ultimate spiritual platform, but there's no downside to it. My material personality, like my material body, has a downside, right? Right? Isn't it? Like saying, you know, if you have one kind of hair, it's good for one thing, it's not good for something else. So you could say, well, why bother with the material personality at all? Just work on developing, and not really developing, awakening the real spiritual self. Just work on enlightenment. Just work on awakening. Heck with the stupid body and mind. That's very difficult. It's also quite unnatural. And there are people who try that path. I mean, in every spiritual discipline, there are people, they leave society, they go live in a monastery somewhere, right? They go to some Himalayan cave, they don't interact with society, maybe they do some sort of meditation where they even practically stop breathing, right? And some of these yogis. And they say, I'm not going to do anything with the body and mind, I'm just going to work on the spirit. That's extremely difficult. First of all, most people can't do that. It just, they just won't be able to do it. What are you going to do? You know, just go to the forest and go to a cave and meditate. Most people, after a while, they're going to get bored and impatient and come back down into society. And also, it's just... Not only cannot most people do it, but it's not even the easiest, most natural most joyous path to realizing the real self. The more joyous and the more natural and the easier uh, path is to use the body and mind, defective as it is, and having its weaknesses along with its strength in the service of the spiritual, while one is cultivating the meditation on the real self. Does that, does that answer your question, or do you still have some confusion? Uh, yeah, but uh, I'm not sure which one is most important. Um, saying, um, in getting to know yourself, which one is more important? Getting, in getting to know yourself, then is it important to accept, or do we get to know yourself so that we can progress? Because I don't see the point of getting to know yourself if you're not going to pursue progress. Okay, well, when we say accepting yourself, again, you'll see that there's categories, but within those categories, there's progress. Like on the first page, there were three categories, but you can progress from ignorance, passion, to goodness. But you, you can't progress until you accept Because if you don't accept, instead of trying to make progress and being the best of who you are, you often try to be somebody else. It just doesn't work. I mean, you can try it, but you can save yourself the trouble. It's not going to work. I mean, if I've got a certain kind of car, I'm not going to turn it into another kind of car. But I can have that car work optimally. I can have that car function optimally, and I can use that car for what it's designed for. So, I mean, otherwise, you have to adapt. In other words, you must adapt instead of trying to change. 
Well, it's a change, but change within a certain type. You're not trying to change from one type to another, but you're trying to be the best of the type that you are. Do you get that? I didn't get it, but now you're getting it. Okay. Okay. Once, once I got this, when I st- first studied this, I'm not sure how many years ago, 20, 25 years ago, it, it was so much of a relief for me in my life. Because instead of focusing on my weaknesses in relation to other people's strengths, I was able to turn my weaknesses into my own strengths. I was able to see that all of my weaknesses are just misapplied strengths. But they're my strengths. I don't have the strengths of other types, but I have my strengths. And I will never have the strengths of other types to a large degree. I can get the strengths of other types to some degree. And that gives me the freedom to look at certain situations and say, you know, I'm not good at that. And I'm never going to be good at that. And better somebody else do that. Because that's not me. And be able to find what I am good at and rejoice in that. And it... it, it, freed me from so much anxiety and so much wasted energy. It also gave me a whole lot more respect for other people. Because until I understood this, I would often judge people according to my own type. And I would see how much others were like the ideal of my type. And because at least three-fourths of the people are other types, I would see them as lacking in my strengths. But when I started looking at people in terms of their own strengths, I appreciated them so much more. So if you're the type that gets along well with everybody and you're really nice and you're really a team player, you may look at the real decisive, results-oriented person and think, wow, they're so grating. But if you say, okay, maybe they don't get along with everybody, but they really get a lot done. Does that make sense to you? So I found that it freed me from kind of striving for things that were impossible. It let me become who I am in the best way possible, and it let me have a lot more respect for other people. My my ability to respect other people without uh, self-righteous judgment increased exponentially after I understood this concept that there's different kinds of personality and that each person is strong in their own way and each person is wonderful in their own way. And what I perceive as other people's weakness may just simply be that they don't have my strength, they have a different strength. And ultimately, when you get into the spiritual personality, you don't so much worry about what kind of material personality you have. It's not so important. Whatever it is, it is. Use it in the best way and and improve it in the best way, but know that that's not the ultimate real self. When I die and I leave this body, I'm also going to leave this particular personality behind. It's, it's kind of like a role in a drama. You put on a certain costume and you also adopt a certain character. And after that drama's over, you take off that costume and you also let go of that character. So in each life, we have a particular costume and a particular character that we're playing in drama. 
So you figure out what character am I playing in this life? Let me play it nicely so that there's a harmonious drama. But let me also realize who I am outside of the costume and the makeup and the character. So I don't even have to keep coming back on stage to play a different character. I can ultimately go to where I am and who I am. Somebody else with your thoughts on this? No, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Everybody else is quiet, so go right ahead. It's because to do with the what you were talking about. I don't know if it was you were speaking about personality types, but you were talking about something about nine. So I said this morning when I woke up, a friend of mine was Facebooking a whole lot of kind of like numerological, mystical stuff about nine. But you, or you were talking about the three. It's the, it's the personality types, and no, no, the categories. The categories, yeah, yeah the, the Ayurveda. Yeah. Well, and then you said, but then there's nine of them. But yes, then, three times three, and then the the original three again what, would what, make what do you twelve. Mean three times three. You well, if you take if you take those, if you look at that first page, and you see there's three types, yes. but they can combine. Oh. So a person can be not just Vata or Pitta or Kapha. They okay. can be Vata Pitta. Okay. Or pitta kappa, or kappa vata. Okay. So because they can combine, a person is very rarely a pure type. Okay. So you can have people who are just just one type, and then you can have people who are combinations of the types. To the ninth type. Yes. Oh, so there's the there's many different ways of categorizing personality. The DIS system is giving you four types, okay. right? The Ayurveda is giving you twelve types. The Myers Briggs is giving you sixteen types. Okay. So I'm not teaching you the DIS. Myers-Briggs, it's called. Myers. Myers-Briggs. M-E-Y-E-R-S, I think. B-R-I-G-G-S, I believe. It's psychology. Yes. And that's, that's a very accurate system, but it's rather complex to, to study and to become good at. There's, there's other systems in addition. You know, and the point isn't so much which system, but the concept that each of us has a particular type that indicates what we're really going to be good at and what we're really going to struggle with. And, and how to engage ourselves in the world and how to appreciate other people in their times. Where can I find it in the, the Ayurvedic system? Because I'd like to use it. Uh, in which kind of book? Because I have a couple of these books. There's, um, there's an Ayurvedic teacher called Vasant Lad who's published a number of books. Vasant Lad, L-A-D. Yeah. You might be able to find some other things on the internet, but I found that Vasant Lod's stuff is very easy to understand. Anybody else have any other questions? Any other discussion? Okay, so what's on our program now? Huh? Oh, very good. Okay, thank you very much.